Welcome to the ACFCS Financial Crime Cast, a briefing featuring the latest news, analysis, and guidance from across the financial crime spectrum. I'm Brian Spodekindle, VP of Product and Programming with ACFCS, and on this episode, we're making the case for robust case management in fraud and financial crime investigations. In the case of many investigators out there, that's an easy case to make. But just in case that's not the case for you, we'll start by defining case management. And I promise no more cheesy case jokes along the way uh, before setting the scene with a look at current fraud trends. My guest and guide on this topic is Mohammed Al-Zarekit, Global Senior Product Manager of Financial Crime Risks with Bottomline Technologies. And not only is Mohammed a financial crime expert in his own right, but to enrich his own experience and perspective, he's also bringing some insights from a recent survey of institutions in North America and Europe that Bottomline conducted partly on this topic. So together, we'll explore what key challenges institutions are facing in fraud investigations, the state of adoption of case management systems to counter some of those challenges, and what the future of effective management of fraud cases and investigations will look like. Well, Mohammed, thank you so much for being here on the Financial Crimecast. It is always a pleasure to speak with you. Um, I know we work quite a bit on many initiatives at ACFCS. You're kind of a friend of the the ACFCS family at this point, Um, and thrilled to have you guide us on this topic related to case management and its significance to financial crime investigations. I'm thrilled to be speaking with you again. So thanks for being here. Thank you for having me, Brian. I really appreciate it to talk to you again. Yeah, this is a topic that, you know, is absolutely central to financial crime investigations. If you are not properly documenting, managing your case, then your investigation in some cases can be really compromised. Um, So I thought I'd just start off with a quick definition of case management for our listeners. I'm sure most of our listeners, almost all of you out there are familiar with it. But uh, for those that, you know, just need a a quick refresher or are maybe wondering how we're going to use the term, you know, we'll, we'll start off by just defining it. And it's best understood by comparing it to the analog dates of payment and other types of fraudulent activity. Um, When an enterprise was unfortunately hit by fraud in an analog setting, it took a hard to manage mix of automated detection, combining disparate information sources and simple human shoe leather, you know, uh, going out there and doing the investigative work to track it down uh, and conduct an effective investigation. Enterprise case management, at least when done properly, allows investigators and analysts to easily manage and track all cases within a single application. Um, Ideally, enterprise case management should be an automated system, not just a random series of events um, or a random kind of process for creating and managing alerts and cases. Uh, So that's really what we're gonna focus on today is getting to that enterprise case management, some of the obstacles along the way and some of the fraud risks that we're seeing that are uh, really necessitating this approach to enterprise case management. So um, we're gonna be referencing a report that Bottomline recently conducted a survey um, that Bottomline recently conducted with Themis, which is a fraud and financial crime research firm. And the the survey focused on fraud and case management practices and needs in the industry. So obviously very relevant for this podcast. Respondents were primarily from North America and Europe. So Mohammed, with all that said, 
based on this current research, this survey that Bottom Line and Themis recently conducted, uh, what levels of fraud are you seeing? Can you give us some kind of highlights from that survey? Yeah. Um, again, thank you for having me here uh, to talk about this report. It's really very insightful. And the survey was really give us more details about the, the level the industry that actually is facing in terms of financial crimes in general. So it covers like really a lot of things in the space, but one of the significant findings I found is that 44% of the companies have encountered fraud during the past two years. And surprisingly, 29% of those have lost more than $1 million annually. So when you look at these numbers, this is significant. Now we're talking about 44, almost like half, uh, uh, almost 50% of the, the, the respondents, they were saying they've encountered fraud in their, in their institutions. And a third of that is basically saying more than $1 million of losses annually. This is significant. And, and you can put this back to certain things. And I, the way I see the reason for this influx, and this is kind of increase in the, in, the, um, in the numbers that I just referred to, one is basically the digital transformation that took place over the last two years, and everything has to be online, just to eliminate as, as many uh, friction with the customers and all this uh, social distancing. So everything starts to move online, and that makes uh, a huge impact. And also, I don't want to touch the reason is the work from home, but in the last two years, I know some financial institutions, literally in certain countries, when they went with the lockdown and they send their employees to work from home, they literally asked some employees to carry the PC, the computer or the laptop back home and they connect to the network, whether the secure or insecure network to their um, uh, uh, systems to start to function. Some of them actually even ask some employees to use even WhatsApp to communicate and do some teamwork around some operations. And that is a breach sometimes in the security standards in the organization in the normal standard within the firewalls and they protect all the data of customers. While I'm talking about financial institutions, predominantly banks, that is a practice that could basically put all the information of the customers out there for the bad actors to grab. It's financial information, it's personal information, and that's one of the reasons. So it's not the work from home itself because now we have adapted, we built some huge infrastructure around that, but the beginning was also a reason for this influx to happen. The second thing is, in my opinion, is the increase in the online payment methods. Now, everything has to be online and there's nothing wrong about this because you, know, you also need to enable users and consumers and businesses to make money, to make payments and receive payments. That is absolutely something good. But also with that comes so much traffic, which ultimately will increase the number, for example, of alerts, potential alerts, whether false positive or what have you, or basically some literally financial crimes, because the more transactions you get, the more potential crimes you might have. Might have. The third, you probably, Brian, probably more, know more than me on this topic, which basically the, the lack of skilled resources to cope with this influx. Now, the industry has a certain pool of talents before the pandemic and after the influx happened it didn't increase that much in the and the uh, at the same ratio where the transactions and the financial crimes incident took place so there was like a lack of skilled resources that cope with that the fourth and the last in my opinion and this is absolutely as important 
is that the bad actors are trying to be smarter. And I recently came across a term called adversarial machine learning, which basically I never heard about this before. I also know about the machine learning itself. But that term is basically is the study of the attacks on the machine learning algorithms themselves. And of course, build the defense attacks against those, those uh, uh, machine learnings. So what we noticed, cyber attacks often actually leverage something called the data poisoning. It's a very interesting term to alter with the machine learning assumptions, thus causing it to, uh, to malfunction and ultimately it's not working. So this is also another thing we should be wary and keep the eye on when we uh, design um, new advanced technologies for, for, uh, for financial crime. So, so yeah, these are the things that I really see uh, I can highlight from this survey. Now, thank you for that. Some very uh, a thoughtful and thorough response and some very interesting uh, uh, points you highlighted there. I think um, to pull the thread of the, the work from home issue, I think, you know, I don't necessarily have any uh, uh, secret uh, insights on this, but I, I would be surprised if we did not see some um, enforcement actions or penalties come from the types of security breaches you mentioned related to confidential systems or customer data or the way that uh, financial institutions were conducting work for home, work from home operations that did open the door to some uh, potentially fraudulent activity. So uh, definitely a risk and fascinating to see the risk around uh, these emerging fraud issues, you know, with uh, with hostile AI or code poisoning or that type of thing. It definitely speaks to the level of sophistication that we are up against um, and the need for, you know, innovation and uh, thoughtful response on the, on the, the good guy side, so to speak. Um, so let's turn to investigations. So um, given this fraud landscape is very uh, uh, wide ranging, as you mentioned, sophisticated, has to encompass a wide range of, uh, of risks, both internal and external. Let's talk about how you respond on the investigative side and some of the findings that uh, you really highlighted in the survey. One of them that, that jumps out at me is this apparent lack of patience in fraud investigations. Um, when asked about the main challenges faced during the investigative process, 44% of respondents said false positives. We've all seen that, um, fairly predictable. They also said that investigations take too long to complete. And for the investigators out there, this is probably something you live with day to day. Uh, there's too much information to get an investigation done in time. So what's your reaction to these findings? Does anything surprise you? Um, is this you know, consistent with your experience? I feel on the high level is very consistent with my experience, but I want to touch upon, first of all, you're right. The false positive dilemma is not something that can easily solve. It's something that has been in a while. And I don't even think any technology will have a magic wand in which you just like drop it and that will be zero at some point. We will need to, lead, to learn how to live with some level of false positives, but not as high as it is today, unfortunately. But again, it's, it's really uh, something very important, giving the fear of infringing on the risk tolerance for the organizations. And of course, we have seen a lot of huge development in the recent years about the advanced technology to lower that false positive, such as machine learning and what have you. Um, another finding I actually found in the survey is around 60%, by the way, on the, of the respondents shared that it takes them 
between one to two weeks to conclude a case investigation. Now, whether you agree or disagree, or you like or not, I understand there are some complex cases will take some time to, uh, to resolve, but an average of two weeks to close a case is quite, it's quite long to me and it's quite risky. And, um, and the reason I'm saying this, because in, in, in the fraud particular, in the fraud space, if you think about there's a statistic out there that suggests if the financial institution was not able to recover a fraud loss in the first probably 20, uh, 72 hours, that their chances of recovery is slim to probably none. Just imagine if it took two weeks to resolve a case. Well, it's 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 like something for the, from the movie Catch Me If You Can, if you will. <laughs> so uh, to that point, also we we also learn from our customers. I mean, uh, uh, today that during the investigation lifecycle, most of the time is being spent during the initiation process of the investigation itself when they start to kick off the process of the investigation. And that predominantly entitled them to do the, uh, the data gathering from different systems. And we we'll talk about you know, different systems, siloed systems, multiple logins. You have to do search multiple times just to get to the right information that you need. And in the world of financial crime, I mean, I mean, different financial crime really requires different data sets. Like, for example, in the money laundering, you will need to know more details than it's a cyber attack. So there are so many information needed to capture for certain financial crime. And that's very important because each crime or case type requires certain data and has to be also valid, it has to be relevant to the case that the, the um, the user is uh, or the analyst is working on. Um, some others in the survey has been indicated that the big chunk of the time also been spent in the very last step of the of the case, which basically uh, uh, during the summary, especially if there is um, a SAR is required to be filed as a result of this investigation. Because of the nature of the information that you need to provide to the regulators, it requires a lot of intense review, make sure that the, 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 the wording is clear, is understood. And yeah, it's, it's, it's also consuming from the analyst perspe perspective when they conclude the, um, the investigations. So to sum it up, really, when you think about this, the, the investigations are really in the heart of financial crime compliance program. Any financial crime compliance program, it has to put the investigations in the center. And in my opinion, it's the most important line of defense if, if it's not the most important one. And that's why you probably need certain tools for the investigators to make the right decision and make the difference between what's the, the good case and bad case, more important one, to prioritize the work. And of course, that helps them bring more operational efficiency and um, workflow and automation. Yeah, no, fantastic points there, and I think uh, you know the 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 point you made um, regarding efficiency and the length of investigation is extremely important. Um, you know, it, there could be complex, as you mentioned, complex investigations that do take more time, and not every investigation is creating created equal. But you know, a two week long investigation is not going in the fraud space is, is not necessarily going to be uh, particularly helpful for the defrauded customer in, in many or per potentially most circumstances. Um, you know, and we are increasingly seeing a push for you know, more, I guess you could call it real-time responses, not just on the fraud side, but um, increasingly in other aspects of 
um, financial crime too. You'll get the you know customer diligence or the AML side as well. Um, the move away from you know periodic reviews and batch AML where you're reviewing transactions two weeks later and these types of things um, is really been a you know a shift in the past several years um, and increasing currently. So yeah, definitely a need for uh, for more prompt investigative responses, I would say, and appreciate you you highlighting that aspect of the wider picture here. Um, so let's talk about how to get to, you know, potentially a quicker and more robust investigative response, given some of the findings you highlighted. Um, you noted that in the, or the sorry, the survey noted that um, 39 percent of respondents currently have a commercial case management solution. Um, so they are operating with something. 31% have a custom solution, but 16% do not have a case management solution at all. Um, does that surprise you? And what does that data say to you? Well, yeah, uh, uh, it's, it's really like a, a mixed bag of responses, which basically okay so far, but well, I want to start first with the 16%. I mean, uh, those who with the 16% who do not have case management at all, uh, I'm just wondering, is investigation part of their compliance program or culture to begin with? If so, honestly, I just want to, I'm just curious to know how the investigation is conducted. I would basically assume they're using manual processes. I would assume there will some sort of Excel spreadsheets or Word documents for them to capture their findings if there is an investigation that takes place. And, and most importantly, if that's the case, I mean, I'm, I'm curious to know how are they assured that the investigation work is done properly? And this is it's extremely important and absolutely like significant to me to see, do you want to know how much workload is happening? Do you want to know is your team functioning very well? And um, and yeah, so there is really does not surprise me because I mean the, the, the percentages of who are using investigation tool from vendors or from homegrown systems that reflects some sort of reality in the industry. And um, for the homegrown uh, um, uh, oriented respondents, I would assume most of what I see in the industry most are like. A small, well, I would want to say small. It's a startup, but it's going fast and growing so rapidly um, in the payment fraud and in the payment industry or other trade, trading securities and stocks. They are growing so rapidly, so they need a system that in place. And because they have the the, the funding from series of of uh, investment cycles that they got, so they usually tend to grow their own systems internally. Now you can pick up on that of how much of the industry knowledge they know, what is the best practices. So there's a caveat to that as well. So that's one of the areas for homegrown systems. Now I want to touch upon also the those who the 39% who said they are using commercial um, the case management system. I just want to make it clear sometimes, and I see it in the industry, are actually using tools not predominantly designed for financial crime investigations but rather something that are leveraging an existing ERP platform to carry on the investigation. I mean, this concerns me a bit. I mean, uh, uh, the reason for this, because you cut costs, 
but with extreme operational deficiency. If you want to leverage whatever you have as the whatever system that you have, the core banking system, for example, to do investigations, because that's still not completely interacted with different systems. It doesn't build the holistic view of risk in one uh, uh, picture for the investigation. And, you know, of course, the user experience is very important in the investigation lifecycle. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a mixed bag of responses. But we um, we know where they come from and what's the, uh, the these numbers translate to. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting. You know, as you said, there are many different uh, organizations at very different points in their kind of you know business life cycle, compliance life cycle, right? So uh, there are plenty still out there um, who are you know newer organizations just kind of standing up a compliance program. There are others out there who are still, as you mentioned, muddling through with uh, the Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> even if they've been around a long time in some cases. So, um, but as we've highlighted a couple of times here, I think the changing rapidity and nature of fraud really speaks to having a solution or a, at least a, a plan in place that um, can keep up with the uh, the threats you're, you're facing. So uh, let's talk about one, you know, one strategy for doing exactly that. Um, there is what's called no code configuration solutions out there. And, you know, this is kind of a buzzword. Some people may have run into it, um, no code. And it's not, you know, one, one solution or one set of solutions. It's more of a approach to your fraud and, uh, you know, also other financial crime solutions too. Um, so can you speak to, first of all, what this actually means, no code, when you're talking about implementing a you know, fraud detection prevention solution or a case management solution in this case? Um, what is it and what are the advantages of this, this approach? Yeah, Brian, I'm so glad that you brought this up. And um, again, it's, uh, it's, as you said, it's a new term in the industry. I think the definition of it's, uh, it, ha- it needs to be given and that's why I wanted to clarify on this. Basically, as you mentioned, it's an approach. It's not a technology or a solution for something. It's an approach that some vendors that are now taking. And basically, it's, it's think about like self-empowerment for financial institutions or for the users who are using the system. So basically, it's a solution that enables the user to slice and dice the system without, uh, or at least with minimal technical skill needed. or engagement with the vendor, the original vendor of the system. I I usually give an example, simple example. When you look at your smartphone, you can put the gadgets in somewhere, you can change the the background, you can change everything on the phone the way you like it. And that is kind of no code configuration because you can do it without going back to whoever the operating system provider. And when you translate this to our language and the uh, financial crime, and when you have a case management and the I need to add a new rule or I need to change a risk appetite or I need to create a new workflow or a new case type has been emerging. And I never had to hear about this in the past, but now it's a new thing is happening. I do not need to go and pay some bill for the vendor or wait for this to be prioritized and been delivered to me. I would love to have this in my fingertips. I can do it anytime you want. And, and the way I want it to be. And, um, and the rationale for this, basically, because in the investigations, I mean, you, you know this, there is no like um, a handbook where every 
investigation in the world is following. It's, it's completely different. And sometimes it varies per region, per institution within the region. And it's because it's a risk appetite driven and the investigation looks different. So there is no one single case management system that fits everybody. And that's why it's important to have some freedom and autonomy over the system that you have been given or invested in, I should say. And that's why it's it's quite important for them to have that, that stuff. Now, one of the biggest thing usually, because as you witness in the industry, the regulatory landscape is just changing rapidly and frequently. And with that change brings some changes to the processes, procedures, the staffing, the systems. And when it comes to systems, I do not need to change, go to the through, through the change request process with my vendor if it comes to the case management, but especially when we are talking about enterprise, that means I need this system or this platform of investigation to be the center for all my investigations across the organization, whether it's fraud, AML, sanction, or everything, I need it to be so flexible. And uh, of course, as a benefit, you know, to give you more flexibility on optimizing your operations, lowering the cost, of course, that's one of the biggest things. And um, giving more flexibility to explain to the regulators what the changes are, and instead of having this secret sauce, like this whatever box that I cannot explain what's inside. So it has to be more flexible, transparent, auditable, and explainable. And, um, and that's what the, the, uh, the case management and also the no-code configuration really is. Thank you for that. Yeah, I mean, I think for the investigators out there, that sounds... Uh... It probably sounds very exciting, right? Not having to go through a, you know, potentially weeks, months long change management process where you're reconfiguring a custom solution or, you know, working with your vendors to recode in uh, uh, whatever platform you're using. So, um, you know, this ability to be flexible and to have what, as you, you know, properly notice, kind of your centerpiece system um accessible and owned by your fraud your teams is um it sounds really exciting uh, so that's where we are going or potentially you know where some organizations already are is these you know no code solutions um let's look ahead into the future you know this is one of the key trends that i've heard about i'm wondering from your perspective you know really in the in the thick of it muhammad can you tell us what you think an enterprise case management uh, investigation will look like and feel like in five years? Yeah, it's, um, it's one of these passionate topics I, I love to talk about. And Brian, imagine if you look into your LinkedIn profile, I guarantee you, your feeds will look completely different than mine when I look into my account because the platform understand the user and it because it's about the user experience. And that's exactly what I hint, what I actually foresee the future will look like in the five or 10 years uh, from now. And the, what, what, what the case manager should look like is what the case analysts, analysts needs uh, today. And when they look into the case management tool, for example, it, 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 it should understand the different and each user and differentiate each user and who are they and what they're doing. Uh, what is their investigation style will look like because everyone has their own investigation style. 
and learns from these users and interact with the user itself by giving suggestions, for example, um, how to help and expedite the case um, investigation time, uh, sending reminders before they actually miss out on deadlines. For example, there is like a, a due date for SAR filing or a due date for case, or it has to be like notified by the user. And most importantly, the timeline visualization. I mean, this is, this is slightly different than what people think when they talk about visualization, when you have this you know, chart of people related, the heading connections and what they call visual link analysis. The timeline visualization is extremely important. It tells you where the, the case started and what, who did what in, in a very uh, uh, chronological graphs. And that is what I feel the investigation should see. Just imagine you hit a, a, a play button and you see how the case started and who did what and where the money came from and which account, which country it went to. And you see all these maps and all these interactivity in the case management. Just imagine how of a safe timing for this in the investigation. You just hit the play button. It tells you what the case is about. It's just so simple. And what I really feel and look forward for the future development in the industry is, is really, it's a collection of the user experience, literally the same user experience across different platforms with the smart intelligence and interactive platform. That's the platform that I would like to see in the future. And it has to be data-driven, leveraging expert systems, machine learning and robotic process automation, all of these together. And, and, and that's what I see. Now, remember we have done really great jobs so far, but the technology, unfortunately, as I see it, is outpacing the development in the financial crime uh, investigations, which is something that um, needs to be addressed as soon as we uh, get along. Well, you clearly are uh, passionate about this topic. Uh, and I'm wondering if you could just close out by by expanding a little bit on that point you just mentioned, you know, that technology is outpacing financial crime investigations. You know, do you feel that really um, as professionals in this space, you know, it's, it's kind of incumbent upon all of us investigators and otherwise to, learn, adapt, you know, grow our skill set kind of in conjunction with the powerful set of tools that we are increasingly being offered as financial crime professionals. Yeah, so over the last few years, I should say, there is like a lot of development in the technology itself that we have not yet adopted into the investigation process. And that's something that we should look into. And very simple over the last two years, for example, thinking about how the industry, we went through a lot of things over the last two years only. And when, when it comes with the increase of fraud and cyber attacks to the expansion of the sanction landscape of Russia and Belarus, uh, to the shortage of talented financial crime investigators, unfortunately. So I really want us to think about what can we do today? Maybe speak to your vendor, look for other people that who can advise you on what things that can be done, uh, scout around, attend sessions, events like what the ACFCs do, get, get networking with people and see what they can offer and you know, see what, what applies to your organization, what doesn't, and see if that's something valid and could help for the bigger cause or bigger, like, uh, bigger good for the future and the industry. Excellent, Mohammed. I really appreciate that uh, perspective. And I think you're absolutely right. I think we have, uh, you know, 
a brighter future ahead if we can harness a lot of the powerful tools and resources at our disposal. So um, absolutely appreciate the not only insight and guidance on this topic, but uh, as you mentioned, the passion for this topic as well. So uh, hopefully we've given you investigators in the audience something to think about and to take back to your organization to uh, to, to mull over. Uh, I think that, you know, there is, uh, there is as we started the, the podcast, there are very significant challenges, both past, present, and future uh, ahead of you. But Hopefully, you know, by closing out on a, uh, a look ahead, we've given you a, a perspective towards some of the, the resources and the benefits that are also ahead by adopting a different approach, um, employing some powerful technologies and catching up with what's already on offer. So again, my guest, uh, Mohammed is uh, uh, both a friend of ACFCS, an expert in this space and a uh, expert with bottom line. So thrilled to have him here again. Have this conversation with us um it's been a real pleasure so thanks again muhammad glad to be here excellent and thanks again to our listeners you will find the acfcs financial crime cast on apple podcast spotify and many of uh, uh, other destinations where you can find your favorite podcast please tune in to a future episode and look forward to having you all join us again goodbye for now everyone